All right, Dan, are you are you ready? We're I, about to, we will rock you. I I think so. I I think we're totally with that. I'm ready. All right. Uh, you have an idea we want to dedicate to. Yes, I'd like to dedicate it to my uh, my cousin, your aunt, uh, uh, Melissa. Because if it really? wasn't for her when I was a kid, uh, I would have never gotten into Queen. Really? Uh, yeah. Ah. Yeah. She was the one that um, uh, was this huge fan. It was either, you know, uh, her or her brother who had uh, Queen, Queen Sheer Heart Attack, and Queen Night at the Opera. Night at the Opera. And uh, what, what great albums to start off with. Yeah. And uh, right. I remember listening to them, you know, in the summer, and that was it. I was sold. Okay. And so that was pretty much... All right, we are back on the St. Paul Filmcast, and I got a couple announcements before we get uh, started. Um, okay. Coming up on a couple of days, I'm going to be a guest on the Billy D's podcast. Oh. So look for that, uh, Billy D's podcast. Um, you can find it on iTunes, and um, I think he's on all the other ones that we are on uh, as well. So in a, a couple of days, look for it. I'll be a guest on the Billy D's uh, podcast. Um, we still, um, Indie Planet hasn't figured out how to get me up there. So if you're still interested in my comic book, which I'm probably going to talk about on the podcast tomorrow, on this podcast tomorrow, um, just email me. I'll put up the information, but to hopefully Indie Planet can get their stuff together. They're just backlogged and hopefully in a couple of my, couple of weeks <laughs> they can get their stuff together. Right. All right. Dan, do you own an A-track of Queen? An A-track, I do. You do have an A-track? <laughs> yes, I own Queen Day at the Races from 1976. Yeah. And uh, this is when I had my Plymouth Duster. It was a 74 <laughs> Plymouth Duster. It was the first car that uh, me and Steve rode around in. And uh, mm. it was a beautiful car. Did it have an A-track player in and it? And it had an A-track player nice. in it. Yeah. Right, all right. And so, I, you know, I'd play Queen Day at the Races. And it did, the, you know, it. Did the thing that all A-track players do. Right. You're halfway through the song and, <laughs> and click. have to click over. <laughs> and, you know, the things that you take for granted, yeah. you know, the patience we had back then. Right. Um, um, here's the best part. <laughs> click. Yeah. Dang it. Right. <laughs> uh, do you have any Queen records? I have all of them. You have all of them on record. I have all of them on vinyl. Yeah. I think they're recorded in stereo. Yes. Right? So even though you can get a nice chorus balance if you have surround stereo. It's uh, I in fact if if you're gonna listen to a Queen album, I would recommend the earphones because right. it's a whole different kind of universe between uh, the speakers. If you got some good speakers, that that's fantastic. Yeah. But if you, the the headphones, wow, it it break it breaks out another dimension for Queen albums, especially Queen Two, Queen the two. second album. Yeah. Right, that, that was legitimately their second album, right? Yeah, You're right. Okay, um, why I don't know because we're gonna talk about the movie Bohemian uh, Rhapsody. Why do you think no nothing referenced the movie Flash? I yeah I I don't know there was a lot of things in the movie that they left out right. that I thought uh, would have been just fantastic right and I think we should 
give it a heads up here. We we were gonna if you haven't seen it, you, <laughs> yeah, we, we, we might, we're gonna we're gonna do spoilers, right? So yeah, yeah just to be prepared for that. Right. If you you know if if you haven't seen it yet, see it mm-hmm. and then listen to this podcast. Um, but because uh, I I think because Flash Gordon was at their really kind of not really really peak peak, but when they were still pretty up there. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. the game just came out and they were in between. Yeah. Uh, and so uh, they just released another Moisa Dust and crazy little thing called Love, and I was. I heard about this because I'd follow movies even as a kid, right. and I heard that oh, they're doing the soundtrack for the movie Flash Gordon. Yeah, and so Flash oh Gordon. my god, I gotta see this! I gotta see this movie, and uh, uh, it's it's fun. I mean, it uh, uh, it's. Um, Written by Lorenzo Semple Jr., who did the original Batman TV series. So yes. It's, it's very tongue-in-cheek. It doesn't take itself seriously. And it's, it's all camp. In fact, they put a lot of money into it. It's a very colorful film. But the uh, uh, I think people who were expecting Star Wars... Or maybe even a ripoff of Star Wars were disappointed because... No, I, I kind of was as a kid. Because yeah. it, it advertises a sci-fi and you're like, well, when is it going to get... <laughs> right. And it really it goes was, to the flavor of the original Flash Gordon series. I think it was an homage to the... Yeah, the to cart... The, what you, homage to the people who follow Flash Gordon yep. rather than just attract new... A new yeah. uh, new audience, and right. and they could have they could have went the um, kind of the Star Wars route that Buck Rogers kind of did at the time. My next one is they don't talk about Highlander either, and they don't talk about Highlander. Yeah, yeah, they don't. I uh, I, I <laughs> the other the other reason I want to bring it up is because Queen was used in a lot of films. Yes, prior to this film, they that's true. They did uh, uh, they did. Uh, the music for Hollander. They did the music for the whole soundtrack for Flash Gordon. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, One Vision from A Kind of Magic was used in the movie Iron Eagle uh, with Lou Gossett Jr. Right. Which, they had a single in there? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Which was kind of a Top Gun ripoff. But it was, uh, in fact, I think it was Golden Globus that uh, produced that one. For You know, that they were very pronounced in the 80s. But uh, they did that one. Um one of Freddie Mercury's solo songs was in the movie Teachers with Nick Nolte. Uh, so, yeah, they they were in a lot of movies. Uh, their music definitely was. And it lent itself to that because it was so, you know, multidimensional and uh, and big. And the other thing about it, um, the reference in the movie is the borrow idea of the Greta Garbo promo shot. Yes, you, and we see it when... Um, Mercury is leaving his house. Do you think he really had a he had to have like a big picture of he, her? He must have, and I've seen that picture before because I think Mick yeah. Rock was inspired by that. He's the one that actually took the picture, yeah. and it's uh, the same picture of the shadowing that they did for uh, well, first for the Queen Two album cover yeah and then they used it for the video for bohemian rhapsody so that's why freddie has his arms up they like crossed, red, like almost a, like a corpse yeah, yeah. and uh it's a great visual yeah. i think it, i think it's interesting to find out they were hesitant to do it they thought it was way over the top yeah um, and it was usually <laughs> it was usually freddie's idea <laughs> and then he would have to pull the other ones in <laughs> Um, I would like to all throw off. What the heck does everybody, I think, understand what Bohemian Rhapsody is? Yeah. You want to give it a stab at it? Because I actually researched it a little bit. Well, um, they, 
I they started out calling it the cowboy song for some reason because that's mom, how it started out. Yeah, because it was Mama, I just shot a man. So it started almost like a western, <laughs> like a western, and uh, they called it the cowboy song. And uh, as it went on, right, like an old western cowboy yep. with the piano at the bar. That's true. Okay, I and, can see where it started. And with uh, uh, Mercury's. Um, affectation for opera because he was he was a real opera aficionado he he loved uh paganini if it was italian if it was a uh even if it was a french opera a german opera he was he was really in you know very well, much I can, in you depth can... of, and he knew operas very yeah. well um uh, and uh he makes a lot of a um um, operatic allusions to either to other songs like mm. the March of the Black Queen. He calls himself Queen of the Night. Well, Queen of the Night is a character from Mozart's Magic Flute. Yeah. You know, so he knows his stuff, and I think that he really had a yen for. He really wanted to take that dramatic, um, that dramatic feeling of opera and put it into rock. Yeah, and he didn't tell anybody else, and so when they were performing it and prepping for it it's like okay now what do i do well this is where the opera section comes in dear <laughs> and it's like what what's happening so i everybody i think it's an old king it's an old reference to an old kingdom bohemian yes and it's also a regarded to an artistic um loose loose artistic bohemian yeah. is very loosely yeah, cultured to, yeah to be a bohemian you're um you're an artist um out but, there but yeah. you're also you're um kind of an outcast it's, yes you know yeah. he's always very bohemian right you're um, very um aesthetic aesthetic yes, yes. and uh, of course, we all familiar with Franz Liszt's Hungarian Rhapsody. Well, yeah. here you have Bohemian Rhapsody, <laughs> which I think it's just kind of a tongue-in-cheek way of, right. you know. And then uh, I think Rhapsody means an escalated Yes, a very, a very dramatic um, piece of music. Yes, yeah. all right, yeah. Rhapsody in Blue uh, by Gershwin. Now, so now you, can, now you can impress everybody at the uh, party when you say, I know what Bohemian <laughs> Rhapsody means. Yes. Yeah. In fact, I think, I'm sure like Holmes' famous, one of his famous cases was called A Scandal in Bohemia. And it played on it because of the original kingdom. Oh, and, right. And um, it was a scandal with the mistress, and she's very Bohemian herself, and it was a play on the words and stuff. But it's one of Sherlock Holmes' most important cases. Uh, I, I love it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So um, how did this movie come about? I think it was, I think because I want to establish, Queen will love to be part of movies. Yeah. It wasn't, a, a, it wasn't necessarily outside of their norm, be incorporated in movies or like movies. Right. And I think it was the brainchild of actually Brian May and Roger Taylor, the drummer and the lead yeah. guitarist. And they've always been together, even before Queen. Smile. With, with the band Smile, right. Oh, yeah. uh, with Tim Staffel. And I don't mean to interrupt. Does no. Smile have an album? Um, they with, with uh, Tim Stafford as the lead singer. Do they yeah, have, they do have a. They do you have a, can find it, and I have I have their their singles. Okay. Uh, yeah, I have uh, Earth. And there was another tune called Step On Me. And Staffel, with the background band, who they reminded me of a lot, and this yeah. may sound funny, but they, they remind me a lot of The Cure. They sound a lot like The Cure. With the, <laughs> with the steady rhythm. Yep. And, and Staffel's voice, especially. Um, really? Yes. Yeah. So you do have some. God, I like to hear them. Oh, it's oh, they're great. It's fun. It's, I would like to hear it on. I can probably find them on any on my phone anywhere. But I would like to hear the record. Yeah. Yeah. And it's uh, uh, they they cut a 
couple of singles. And so there's a tune called Polar Bear, Step On Me, and then there's a uh, tune called Earth, and uh, another one called Blog, which has a riff that later becomes a part of the riff of Brighton Rock, which was in the movie... Um, Baby Driver. Yes, Baby, Baby Driver, Driver. That which was recent. Um, Brighton Rock is one of the most unappreciated of their songs. I agree. It's I just, agree. It, it's like quiet. And like, I, I, when it begins quiet, you're like, is it playing? <laughs> That's right. right. Oh, wait, there's no sound or it takes <laughs> a long time. That's true. Right, and then yeah. all of a sudden it comes in like Game <laughs> Busters. Right, yeah, yeah. Almost like uh, Tie Your Mother Down. Right. It too. It's all oh, quiet. Great like, tune. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, so in uh, 2010, uh, Brian May was on the BBC show Hard Talk, which is kind of like American version of 60 Minutes. Right. Yeah. Yes. And, and he expressed, yes, we've been in the last, we've been trying to make a Freddie Mercury movie. Yeah. A bump Freddie Mercury. And then I think working with it eventually became not so much about Freddie Mercury, but about the band. Right. And I think that's what initially they, they were going to be about. It's going to be about Queen. And. Mm-hmm. Their first uh, person they got on board was Sasha Baron Cohen, which immediately there were ego clashes with that because I think anything that Sasha Baron Cohen, he wanted to, okay, this is my production right. and this is how I want to do it. And there's this certain is how things that come with, um, I'm demeaning. Uh, there's certain things that come with Sasha Baron Cohen. Obviously, he plays farceness that people didn't know if there's going to be authentic portrayal right. or make fun of the, uh, he definitely wanted to go hard R, which he definitely. Um, Brian May wasn't really uh, on board with a right. hard R version of this. He wanted to incorporate it as close to PG-13 as we can get Right, because uh, from Brian May's point of view, it's, uh, this is our friend. We want to, um, you know, if you want a documentary, fine, watch a documentary. But There this, are a bunch of them. And there's enough a document. You, if you want to find the information and the dirty scoop, you'll find it. Yeah. Uh, May was more interested in we want to Present. celebrate, you know, his yeah. life. And he was an excellent friend. He was, he was family, in a sense. And so to tarnish, it, tarnish him in awards and all sort of thing um, and then pretend – that it's we're not being voyeuristic or just doing it for money, they they found that very distasteful. So did Taylor. They just didn't want to do that. So um, initially they were um, shopping around directors. Tom uh, Hooper was mm-hmm. an idea. David Fincher was actually interested very yeah. much in, in part of on board when Sasha was a part of it. When once uh, Sasha Baron Cohen said no, they looked for somebody. In fact, a Daniel Radcliffe audition. There was entertained rumors around Daniel Radcliffe playing Freddie Mercury, which he's. Well, he's about the same size height as Rami Malek, you know, uh, which and and even Malek is considerably shorter than Mercury, um, where I thought that Cohen was too tall to play him. But (laughs) that's Um, interesting. But then then eventually it went to Raleigh Malek. Raleigh Malek, yes. Who made his name for him for the TV show, Mr. Robot. Mr. Robot. Yep, that's right. If you haven't watched Mr. Robot, it's one of the best sleepers yeah. out there it is wonderfully i think it's won a couple of awards for yeah writing. It, ha- it has it's one of those that um i think it didn't really advertise it made sure people talked about it and that's how i got familiar with mr robot i was introduced to rami malik when i saw um hbo's the pacific which was their second world war ii okay um uh, uh film uh a series and he um He's on there. His his character is actually from New Orleans, and he plays a perfect New Orleans accent. Yeah. Um. And uh, 
uh, I just enough where you would think, oh my God, this guy's from New Orleans. <laughs> yeah. you know? So when I heard that he was going to be playing Freddie Mercury, I was like, oh, I don't know if this is going to work. And initially, he doesn't look like him very much. I mean, no, the eyes are very different. Yeah, um, the haircuts and stuff. But I, I, it, I, I think he's got the mannerisms down. Oh. God, he crawled into Mercury's skin. I don't know yeah. how he did it. Um, like Dennis Miller said, just he he locked it. It was it was yeah. an amazing thing. Um, once he locked uh, Rami, and then they have an idea what this movie will uh, look like. They hired um, Anthony McCartan to write the screenplay, and uh, McCartan is known to do um, screenplays for Darkest Hour with yes. Gary Oldman, um, Theory of Everything, which is the portrayal of uh, Stephen Hawking. That's life. right. Um, so he's very much, they went into a wanted a well-written script for this. And very, a lot of detail in it. I right. believe he yep. also did Frost and Nixon and, que- and the Queen. Not this Queen, but the <laughs> other Queen. <laughs> <laughs> so. um, and then they find out, um, well, eventually they get Brian Singer to come on. Right. And it actually was a logical choice. I think Brian likes, Brian Singer, if you look at his movies, I'm not going to talk about his controversy, but if you look at his movies like Superman. I was going to um, say, he, he directed Superman Return. Returns, right? Superman Returns, which um, was my favorite comeback Superman, by the way. I was, thought it was. It was. It was. I uh, really wish they would have kept that kind of Superman serial vibe. Yeah, but they didn't with Man of Steel. Very but. much of the old way of. Yeah. yeah. Um, so Brian, uh, like usual suspects and all the X Men that he's done, mm-hmm. likes to concentrate on characters that are kind of outside. Yeah. Outsiders. And I think they eventually draw it into this being Freddie as the epitome of being an outsider. That's true. In fact, his character says that we are the band for outcasts, you know, and he right. says, you know, <laughs> look at us. We are in. Right. You look at them and they don't think, I don't think they go together. They no. all have different behaviors, different manners. It's true. I yeah. mean, Taylor is a, uh, you know, he's, um, you know, he's girl crazy, but he was going to be a dentist. Um, uh, Brian May is very reserved. Very reserved, very mild-mannered, going to be an astrophysicist. In right, fact, he's he, had, is, he is an astrophysicist. He does have published papers. Yes, <laughs> he's he is a doctor. You know, he is, you know, he's he's right next to Sheldon in the Big Bang Theory. <laughs> right, this, yes. Um, John Deacon, very quiet, very demure, uh, does, you know, doesn't really speak up. In fact, his character in the movie you know, you blanket, he's gone. You know, Deaky, right. which was his nickname, John. But Deacon. they're solid. It's solid. And if you if you want to make a band, you have to have excellent drumming and right. excellent bass players. That's true. Because the guitar can screw up, the vocals that, can yeah. screw up, but that cannot screw up ever. The yeah, drums that's and true. bass. And even for him being very, very quiet, if it wasn't for him, we'd have no another one bites of dust. We yeah. wouldn't have any. You're my best friend. He ma- he made some of the best yeah. songs out there. Sometimes he was third fiddle. He's kind of the George Harrison of Queen, <laughs> is what he is. Um, the cinematographer is Newton Thomas Siegel. Uh, be careful because mm-hmm. in early in his life he was go- went by Tom Siegel S I G L. But oh, then, he did. But when he uh, eventually worked with Brian Singer, a lot of his movies, it was very kind of a natural fitting because I think he worked on a lot of the X-Men movies that Brian Singer did, um, Superman Returns. Um, Prior to that, he's done the um, cinematography for the movie Drive. I highly recommend. Oh, yes. Yeah, and I am going to get to that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, We'll be right back. (laughs) (laughs) And the movie Fallen with Denzel Washington did a a cinematography for that. Okay. And that's kind of a sleeper. The Trigger Effect, I don't know if you've ever seen that one. Um, that's another little below the radar great movie. Yeah, because I, I don't think I've, I've heard a- of that one. App Pupil. I think. App Pupil, yes. Stephen yeah. King um, 
Ian McClellan, a very creepy film. Yeah, short story was yes, yeah, yeah. And a very but very well done. I I liked it. Great atmosphere. Um, one of the producers really to grab onto this was Graham King. Um, he's an executive producer for The Departed. Oh, and he got okay. even Robert De Niro to write a check for this movie. So yes, because Rob- yeah, Robert De Niro is also in the production of this film. Yeah, so um, and that Graham King is one of the reasons why Sasha was out. They this what was the term we use? Creative differences. Yes, that was <laughs> that's exactly what it was. It was it was creative differences, and they and even Cohen was saying, oh, they wanted to give a family oriented film, and uh, and yeah, they did. I don't think it's like family oriented i think they just want to catch a cast a wide net to as many people as you can get well i remember i remember years back when i was a kid and brian may would talk about the queen you know their music and he said you know i want our music to be played for not just this generation but for other generations and that you know it um has an appeal towards everyone and i think that was kind of his point of view with this film you yeah. know, and and I think that's how he wants to represent himself. Now, Cohen has no emotional attachment to Queen, but Brian May and Roger Taylor certainly do. So I think right. their um, their memory, they are also guarding, saying, "Hey, wait a second, You know. Um. <laughs> Another note I, I discovered is um, Tim uh, Stafford was actually in the movie. Yes, yes, he was in the movie as a little bit like a, a drummer, or uh, he. I I do know that um, there was an actor that played him and played Tim Stafford. But the real Tim Stafford made an appearance in the movie. Was he really? Like a cameo? Like a cameo, I think. Or actually played. Now that I didn't know. um, So if you want to, I I haven't done, it's a little game we could probably play next time we watch it. We find it, if you can find it. Okay, find Tim Stafford, yeah. Um, The person who played uh, the drummer, um, John Deacon, was actually Joseph Mazzarello. Oh, Oh, um, John Deacon was the bass player. John Deacon was the bass player, Yeah. yeah. Um, was played by Joseph Mar- R- Mazzarello. He's the little boy in Jurassic Park. Oh my God, he is, isn't he? <laughs> yes. Is that a little? He, dis- yes, because he has one of those faces. Like I know him from somewhere. For God's sakes, I know him from somewhere. And you're absolutely right. He's the little boy from Jurassic. I'm having an epiphany here, ladies and gentlemen. An absolute epiphany. That's what we do on the show. We have epiphanies. <laughs> oh my God, you're right. It's a, a, yeah. It's a yeah. nice. But he had the perfect hair for when the live aid show because yes. John Deacon's hair looked <laughs> outrageous. <laughs> it's, it's it really did. He had that, <laughs> yeah. It was when it was long, and then he had that perm in the you know in the early eighties and mid eighties. Yeah, wow. And he he looks like him. Everybody looked looks like, like look you know looks like how they were supposed to look. Now, one of the things of it's a little bit of more fantasy than real is the induction of Freddie in the band. It didn't really happen in the like in the movie necessarily. No, there's the, there's a lot of um, suspension of disbelief and. Um, for 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 need of a dramatic story for and, for the sake of the story and cut time yeah and to cut time because you're, you're condensing twenty years into like two and a half hours so the reality is Freddie and Tim were actually best friends and Tim has actually introduced Freddie to the guys in the yes band. and that's and how it, it worked and then that's yeah. how it worked and then and then the movie is predicted that he was out and then Freddie just filled in with it which it, it cuts time yeah rather it, than explain the murkiness of uh, he was playing the band sometimes yeah, uh, playing and, his smile. 
Well, he showed up and what's in. And he was in a band called Sour Milk Sea. And sometimes Roger and Brian would see his band. And they were just kind of doing the college circuit. It was kind of a, a small, you know, it, it was it was right. definitely him and Ager, you know, second strings, you know. But it's then all... so, were, so were Yes. And so were these others these other bands that made it big at the time right you know were you know were, they're all were really just hybrids small. of each other exactly <laughs> and uh, but they all knew each other and yeah. um and so yeah it but everything that happened immediately at that time where, oh, Tim Staffel decides to break up and join Humpy Bong. And they're, you know, and they're looking for a singer that day. And all of a sudden, Mercury just walks by and says, hey, well, I write songs and, you know, I've got a hell of a voice. You know, it, it wasn't all that tight. Oh, then he also mar- he meets Mary Austin. That, that same day. Yeah. 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 Which um, Not, right. the song Love of My Life is, in fact, written for her. It okay. Is. Yeah. Did they really live next to their neighbors? Um, yes, they were. and Because I think Jim Simmons does this. Um, <laughs> really? He just buys houses for his girlfriends before he met, uh, what's her name? I could see Shay. that. Yeah. I could, yeah. I, that could have been the case, too. It, yeah. Uh, but I do know, she lives in the house that, that was his. Okay. And okay. only she knows where he's buried, because she had his ashes and... Um, on his request, he said, you know, I want you to bury me. And she's the only one that knows where Freddie's okay. buried. Yeah, the, so they, they really did have a strong bond. <coughs> so they won't do like what they do to Jim Morrison's grave to just desecrate it. That was pretty much it, yeah. All right. Um, so unexpectedly, Brian Singer leaves after two film, two-thirds yeah. of the film. And there was part of controversy about that. It's like, yeah, there, it, there's really no concrete... Um, uh, it just said um, unexpected. In fact, is, he, is he still missing? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I have no idea. Um, he does have kind of a mm, checker background. Yeah. Uh, but it was just uh, officially labeled unexpected unavailability. Right. <laughs> so they got a new director. Uh, well, actually, it was originally was before Brian Singer. That's I'm trying to make a little bit of drama here. But, okay. Well, uh, prior to Brian Singer, Dexter Fletcher was actually what's going to do the film and then he he, once again didn't work well with bram king and that's when brian stringer joined in and dexter fletcher uh finished the principal photography of the movie directing the movie so he did about one third of it okay brian singer did 33 percent uh brian singer did about two thirds based on director's guild Oh, he doesn't get any credit. He doesn't get any credit based on Uh, the director's guild, so it's completely Brian Singer's. That's how they get you. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That's not, (laughs) jeez. The other thing I want to talk about um, is news of the world. Yes. Now, when did that come out? That came out in 1977. Okay. Between A Day at the Races and Queen Jazz. And it, uh, what that was about was. Queen just finished two of their uh, most elaborate and most expensive albums, The Night at the Opera and The Day at the Races. And um, they concent- this movie concentrated heavily on Night at the Opera. Right. Yeah. And um, Groucho Marx said, you know, I want you to see my next movie. It's called The Rolling Stones. <laughs> 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 so that's that's a true quote too. Really, <laughs> <laughs> but it's my hand of God. Uh, but so uh, News of World came out in seventy seven, nineteen seventy seven, and uh, there was a lot of blowback because uh, Queen used a lot of you know elaborate and uh, different genres, and that was really frowned upon by the critics. You know, because punk was right. coming in, and it was like 
the more more basic, you know, back to basics, the more raw, the more unpolished, yeah, right? The unpolished, the more anti corporate, the better. Um, in fact, when they were making new, right, this is the yeah. right right at the start of Ramones and the punk rock and Sex oh. Pistols are going around and everything. News and, the world was made in the same studio that never mind the Bullocks. Here's the Sex Pistols, and um, really? actually, Sid Vicious came in while they were performing and there was Freddie there and he's on the piano and I wish they put this in the movie because Zid Fish just looked at him and said hello Fred I heard you're bringing ballet to the masses you know and uh, Mercury right. just looked at him and said oh well Mr. Ferocious we're doing our best dear <laughs> and you know and well, Vicious didn't know how to react to that, you know? Yeah, right. <laughs> and so uh, Different clashes of... Different clashes of culture, different clashes of class. <laughs> right. If you went to a Sex Pistols and you got spit on by Johnny Rotten, that was like an, oh my gosh, right. I adore. You yeah. Freddie, he's throwing roses at you and drinking <laughs> champagne out of a glass slipper. <laughs> you know, it's totally two different worlds. <laughs> but I want to talk about it because in the movie, We Will Rock You. Yeah was actually, they talk about it was supposed to be a little bit later, but in the reality, it was a, one of their it's, in 70s rather than the 80s. They, yeah, and um, if you go to Queen International Fan Club, you had some people that were just... Really? Oh, Outrage. they were livid about this. I, you know, and... Uh, but the majority of them said, "Look, it's a movie. It's yeah. not a documentary." And for the sake of, for the sake of the story, uh, yeah, um, Mercury never had the handlebar mustache. That came way later. That came 1980 with the game, and um, you know, in the in the beginning of Another One Bites of Dust, yeah. he still had the um, that boffy haircut, the boffy haircut with the leotards, with News of the World, yeah. and so he didn't look that. With the with the handlebar mustache, he didn't have that look, and so and they fooled around with times like that, like when they're doing their 1974 uh, concert. They have uh, this is 1974. This is your heart attack. They're yeah. playing Fat Bottom Girls from um, the 1978 album Jazz. Now, if I mean I knew it because I'm a fan, right? But most people are not going to know that. And but there's this there's the lyric in the song saying, you know, I've been playing with my band across the wire, across the land. Well, as you see, the bus go past. You know, they're on tour. <laughs> yeah. So it for the storyline, yeah. it works perfectly. Storyline visually, it does. Yeah, it does. It, it does. works, and that's what you know the story. The story wills out everything. So I think that's what they were looking at. Right, and I I'd like the introduction i think the emphasis of ray will rock you yeah because it's not i don't but it understands that um audience participation was their emphasis yeah and it was so important i you know as a kid you know uh going through night the opera and date the races my god you know you get versed in vaudeville opera um cod um english uh, uh soul you know <laughs> and the thing is when you hear queen do soul, um, which is what they were trying to convey with somebody to love. I'm sorry, yeah. it sounds like Gilbert and Sullivan. <laughs> you know? And there's a lot of tunes yeah. that do sound like Gilbert and Sullivan with electric guitars with Queen. And they were into that kind of genre. Then all of a sudden they they try to take it down to basics as much as possible during News of the World. We will rock you. You, you know. Yeah. Honest par participation, yeah. which if you were a kid in the eighties, every sporting event. Oh, Everybody knows that, you know, the boom, boom, clap. Yeah. Um, they got a rather scathing review from Rolling Stone because... Really? They did? Yeah. They... Because the... 
critic for some reason heard We Will Rock You and the boom, boom, clap, boom, boom, clap. And for some reason, he envisioned a Nazi rally and actually said that Queen was the most fascist band he's ever heard. And this guy has heard Screwdriver. (laughs) I mean, it was, yeah, it just blew me away. I think the more harsh critics are the album, the better. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Because critics have been harsh in this movie. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Very harsh. That's a good point. Um, Queen has never been a... Uh, a darling of the of uh, the critics. They no. they've disdained them. They hated them. They always thought, oh, they're you know, braggadocio, larger than life, pompous, bombastic. I would I would imagine people a lot of pretentious, pompous. Yeah, right. Yeah, and and Queen loved that. I mean, and the thing is, is like I mentioned, Gilbert and Sullivan. Um, they they never took themselves that seriously. They are very tongue in cheek and. Um, it's like you either get it or you don't, and it's there. But the thing is, along with that, they're very, very talented. No, they're serious about their artwork, exactly. But, but they want to have fun. Yeah, and they want to have fun. Yeah. And so, uh, critics. And that's another thing too, because critics didn't know where to pinpoint them, and critics have to general. You know, they have to generalize. Right. And say, you know. I want you to slide into a category right now. Yeah, that's yeah. exactly it. Yeah. yeah. Um, all right, we're going to take a little break, and um, we're going to talk about uh, the induction of the um, made-up character in the movie, uh, oh, Ray, Ray Foster. I can do that. <laughs> well, hello, everyone. I am Billy Dees from the self-titled Billy Dees Podcast. You can find me on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, iHeartRadio, and many more of the best podcast networks. Join me for my commentary and interviews. Follow me on Twitter, really easy to find, at Billy D's. I am Billy D's. I'd love to have you listen in. EMI Records, Electric Music Industries. Yes, I do. Yeah, yeah one of the I'm big, familiar with it. Big one, one of the big ones at the time. Yeah, um, they one of their uh, one of their uh, what do we call him? Chief Executive? I don't right. know. I don't know. It was named Roy Featherstone, <laughs> and he was hesitant to release. Yeah. Um, Bohemian Rhapsody. It was a little too long. I don't know what this is. Not pop. Radio wants their third right. three-minute jingle. I, right. I I think, you know, because we were talking about the critics before and really can't pinpoint Queen's music. I right. think he was an amalgamation of all that and yeah. all the frustration that the band was going through. And so I think that he represented the critics. I think he represented the, um, the last managers that Queen had. The last three albums, Queen... Queen 2 and Sure Heart Attack, Queen didn't 
hardly got any money for that from the um, Sheffield brothers. Okay. And so I think he was this kind of... Right. I was gonna, yeah. I'm, I'm leading up to it. So Roy Featherstone actually was a fan of Queen. He's the one that actually emphasized he wanted to put on the label and yeah. he was hesitant. And it's not Roy Featherstone being portrayed. It's a made-up persona yeah. named Ray Donovan played by Mike Myers. Right. Who does not look like <laughs> anything like Roy Featherstone. Or the, Mike Myers or for that Mike matter. Myers, but this is a... Fictitious looking yeah. record executive, what you would imagine record executive. They're a little bit almost like a. You think they're shady. Yeah. He, he has that 70s perm, you know, obviously trying to look, you know, 20 years younger. Right. And with the shady glasses. And of course, there's a there's a tongue in cheek point where he says, "No one's going to want to slam their heads against this, you know, with right. this song, you right. know." Uh, and the the joke was they should have um, "I'm in love with my car" as the side A. I love how they make fun of that. <laughs> oh God, they slammed "I'm in love with my car." <laughs> and I think Roger intentionally understood. Yeah, I think he you, had to. You had to. <laughs> uh, which is, I have to say this though. Um, Hearing I'm in love with my car and live killers live, it's it's an awesome experience, you know. It's it's but did it's they a ever silly did you song. know if they ever played that in concert? Yeah, they did. Yeah, did they, they ever have. They, they had. They have played I'm in love with my car in concert. <laughs> and uh it's it, you know <laughs> it's true. <laughs> I told my girl I had to forget her, rather buy me a new carburetor. <laughs> I mean it's a silly song, but it's what, awesome. I, what, yeah, we always talk about it in our podcast. You need to have something funny right in it and it's you know the comments and all that stuff it and needs to be funny jim beach what yeah. did, what was miami am i i don't know if he really did that but yeah, yeah. oh miami that's right <laughs> miami beach <laughs> which oh. um jim beach was actually uh, the real jim beach was an executive for this movie yeah yes he was and he was he was one of the good guys um that well that queen considered you know one of the good guys now uh freddie's personal manager whom i didn't know too much about until i saw this movie um, you know, played real, by Littlefinger. Yeah. Well, um, I was when I saw in the theater, the teenagers behind me. Hey, that's Littlefinger. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> uh, yeah, you're gonna get that. Thanks. Good job. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and then he's like, well, it's almost tight casting because he knows it wasn't gonna go very well when he put Littlefinger in there. Right. Right. That's <laughs> true. Uh, but I, I believe that they hit all the points that they wanted to make in that mm-hmm. movie. I think it was just uh, um, brilliant how they did it. Granted, they couldn't catch everything, you know. They, you just because you, you just can't. What's, what I want to just throw at it. What's some other things they they omitted that you really think they should should at least give a spotlight to? I, I think that in the beginning, um, to really show the struggle, how the band you know struggled, because like I said, they. Um, hardly got any money from their first managers. They were called the Sheffield Brothers, and they bas- basically stole from them. And that's yeah. the first song on uh, Night the Opera is called Death on Two Legs, dedicated to dot, dot, dot. And it is um, just a... <laughs> it's a it's a vitriolic, re, you know. Man. You suck my blood like a leech. You break the law <laughs> and you breach. Screw my brain till it hurts. You're taking all my money and you want more. It's it's this this f you to their old manager. At the time, you know, when you I bought the album, I didn't know who this was about, but it was that's what this was about. And that happened with the mo- the band the uh, the Kingsmen. With oh, Louie Louie? Yeah. They, the studio owned everything. They signed their life away. Oh, uh, yeah. And, and then the, 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 that's why they never hear from him again. And that's why it's on everything 
because the studio just yeah you want to play on that yeah 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 and that's you know and uh, even Sheffield said you know well it's you know I thought they would have a good go for about three or four years and four years were up and yeah it was, they were just right. going to drain them for all they were worth and they were young and were hungry and so they signed anything and they really were taken advantage of that wasn't represented in the film and I thought that would be really really good really interesting to, to show um and uh, uh is there anything else that you, you know that well uh, yeah there was one in um <laughs> when they 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 had a kind of a tough time when they went to texas um in their 77 tour and you know freddie had all these leotards and um you know you got this honky tonk <laughs> right in texas of, right to, you know uh um coliseum and it didn't you know, it uh, there was friction there. You know, and I think that would have played out well in <coughs> in the movie, and it would also it probably would have uh, kind of solidified a little more. Some critics were upset that, uh, oh geez, some of the critics were upset that they really didn't amplify Mercury's bisexuality. I thought they did. You I, know, I, right? I, and, I think it's get we get too much in deep personal stuff. Yeah. And, yeah, yeah and, that, and the thing is, is that, well, you know, I come down as a fan. I don't really care, you know, what his orientation was. Well, however, you know, to be celebrated, it he was very secretive about that. He no, did yeah. not want the papers to know about it. In fact, he was very wink-wink about it. Their last album was called Innuendo, for good reason. <laughs> and, you know, and so he... I think he liked to play it. He liked to play it. And right. it was like, it was more fun that way. And he was a very private person. So to go and expose his life story like this, uh, I, I don't think he would have appreciated it. He wouldn't have wanted that. I think he would actually, and I think I, it's hard to circumnavigate. I'm trying to explain. He will like the fantasy aspect of this movie. Yeah. I think he would actually appreciate more than, the, than what really happened. I think he would actually appreciate the, And that's what eventually convinced the guys yeah. to, why don't we do it this way? Because I think he would actually appreciate it this way if we did it this way. I, rather, yeah. rather than kicking out another documentary that 100 times over. I, right. I agree. And I think some of the critics um, had a problem because they were looking at not on the movie itself, not on the story itself, not on Queen's music or the Queen's story, but on identity politics. And so, you know, I'm not satisfied that, you know, this was this wasn't represented enough or his Parsi what you know, his Parsi. Um, nas nationality wasn't represented enough. Well, the man changed his name right. to, to Freddie Mercury and, you know, coined uh, the band Queen, which quintessentially you can't get more colonial than that. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so, so come on. I mean, and I was, I was a fan since the 70s. He never mentioned his Parsi heritage ever, hardly. It's in his music. Um, Bishmila, you know, of Bohemian Rhapsody is an Arabic word, you know, so right. you get some of that influence there, but he was very secretive. He was about that. And so, uh, and he wasn't afraid to offend and he was not afraid to offend at all. No. Um, and got, you know, Hey, these got people in trouble and some yeah. people regarded it as almost salty, but he was not afraid to. Yeah. <laughs> and queen is. <clears throat> as a whole, are probably the most apolitical band in the world, which has gotten them in trouble. Uh, right, because they performed at the South Africa. They that performed was the at Sun City, and, you know, their their argument was, you know, well, music heals. Well, 
Right. Yeah. But then they performed all of South America, which was pretty much an untapped area. And they loved them. Argentina, Argentina, you know, San right. Paulo, Brazil, you know, during the Hot Space Tour. They they really broke new ground there in South America because hardly any bands go there. Um, one of the other things they didn't talk about in the movie that I think what I would like to establish is uh, Freddie going solo was a big deal. Not entirely true because a lot of them right. already had solo uh, projects out there prior to Freddie doing his own thing. In fact, I think Freddie even had his own thing before. Yeah. Um, um, Roger. Roger was the first one. Roger had the first uh, solo album with Fun in Space. Yeah, Fun in Space. Which was right after News of the World. And so he broke out first and then um, Brian May played. If you, oh, people, if you get a chance, if you can find Brian May's, Brian May and Friends uh, with uh, Van Halen and um, uh, I believe the bass player from, uh, um, from Journey. Um, amazing album. Just fantastic album. Brian May and Friends. I implore you to. I think it's regarded almost like a mini album because it's not it a is. full. Yeah. It's a, it is a mini album. Yeah. And uh, the movie was right about uh, Freddie's solo album. It did go out on CBS. And, uh, but I remember buying it and, I think it made like something like eighty five thousand copies in the U. I mean, it was, it did not do well at all. And I had this, and I had to admit it. It, it, I mean, it's mostly disco, uh, and it was there was the thing that, and Freddie agreed to this. You know that the sum of their parts, when it came down to it, um, Queen was better than their solo projects, and and that's true. Brian and Roger will kind of keep Freddie down on earth and they could make a good song together, you know? Um, it's, it's nice to know. Cause I've worked in bands that it, it fits every band. The lead singer is always late. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, right. They're always late. <laughs> well, if so-and-so goes to Bali, right. why should I be in the studio right now? <laughs> and it's, it's just notorious to the point where Mick Jagger is like, if you tell me to be there at two, I will show up at four. Yeah. It's just, just on principle. <laughs> it's on principle. Right. Yeah. It, show up early. Then it's like, you're not ready. Right. Yeah. Um, Let's get to it because it's one of the pitiful points of the live aid. Yes. Um, did you remember? I remember seeing this. Yeah. I remember seeing it. I remember seeing it too. Um, I did not. I, 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 nobody did. No one um, thought that, you know, and Queen is my favorite band. They were so good. They were so amazing. I mean, they, uh, the thing is, at first they weren't going to do it. Um, and Bob Geldof said, hey, you know, tell him, tell Freddie to go up there and he can sing We Are the Champions and, you know, to his heart's content of the whole world. Right. You know, and um, they finally got them out there. And because uh, this was a lo- I, I don't know if people were even alive back then. Understand? Yeah. This was a huge campaign. It was. It was a months long uh, campaign of getting money to Africa because it was. And it, it, was, it was. Yeah. It was one of the first um, uh, televised where they had satellites from england they had satellites from america there right. was a there was a stage in america there was a stage in england and it you know it interspersed back and forth this was unheard of and when queen got out there um they blew everybody away and everybody agrees to that that it was not just queen's greatest performance but it was the greatest performance of live aid it was right. like they they stole the show 
They did. They, they did. stole the show. And they actually solicited hard for primetime. Yeah. Because they weren't necessarily were going to get it. They wanted the primetime slot, which everybody thought would be the peak of viewership. And they, I think they came off right after YouTube. And the show was in the movie. Yes, it's true. Of right Sonny, after- Sonny Bono leaving. And yeah. It, and it's Freddie Mercury going up the steps. That's right. Yeah. And uh, it uh, when he went out there, it the movie portrays the last 15 minutes of that and they do such an amazing job my my jaw was open you know and the detail of the how many cup, pepsi cups were on oh the my, piano yes. <laughs> i mean yeah in fact there's i believe you put one scene by rami malik and then you split the screen and you see freddie mercury it looks yeah. identical and uh they Everybody that saw that, and I'm talking everybody, uh, Robert Plant, uh, Elton John. Well, you know it's good because Elton, in real life, went backstage and cursed them out. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. It's like, you filth and foul, foul, <laughs> filth, you ruined it for everybody. Yeah, yeah David Bowie <laughs> all said Queen stole that freaking show. And I and, think they eventually got a little bit of respect around people yeah. prior to that. They they did they yeah. well first of all they were not expecting that you know no. I mean Freddie had that whole crowd in the palm of his hand it was like a rally yeah. <laughs> well he was notorious to do that you oh, play yeah. vocal games yeah. when the <laughs> when the band has to tune up their instruments it takes a while right yeah. and it's, it's it's it can be frustrating if you don't have a lead singer doesn't know how to occupy the time that's true usually they do their political statements you know and when you have to retune guitars and get for the next song but he would play to the audience yep. I really I reiterate that too because Queen were apolitical. All they were cared about was you're having a good time, right. and that's our job. You know, dido dido. <laughs> <laughs> but he would. It, I don't think their perception was that we're performing with you. It's everybody's involved, enjoying it as much as we are. Exactly. It wasn't like we're on a plateau, even though we're on stage. Right. It's ever everybody's enjoying it as much as we are. He's yeah. He's talking to the crowd. I'm gonna go a little lower now. I'm gonna go a little <laughs> higher. You know, stay with me. You know. Yeah. He was one with the crowd, and um, yeah, and everybody was on even keel. That's a great feeling. You know. <laughs> And it's like they would sing Love of My Life. He would just kind of put the mic down and say, okay, take it. And then he would just be, you know, this choir director. It, going to a Queen concert was very similar to going to, you know, uh, you know, Mrs. Strifle's choir. Uh, right. He <laughs> loved participation. Hour. He loved participation. Yeah. And I think everybody borrows from that. I mean, Green Day yep. invites people to come on stage and play their songs with them. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. And everybody. It, but it all Foo start- Fighters do that, too. And it, it all started with him, per, you know, incorporating participation and green day foo fighters huge queen fans yeah yeah extreme another another band um after because it was i think in 87 he discovered he had the problem yes he did he had they they played a little bit earlier in the movie to coincide with uh live aid there again and a lot of people had you know problems with this it was for the story because it created dramatic effect um I had no qualms with it. I mean, if you look at a movie like Buddy Holly's story, you know, they twisted, you know, broke the truth on every aspect. Oh, yeah. The movie with Gary Busey. And it's a great movie. It's a, you know, and you get enough out of it to right. to, to, to get the gist of, of Buddy Holly. The same thing with Bohemian Rhapsody. Yeah, he he found out that he had AIDS. Two years, uh, I think two years after. After that. And... Yeah. Um, and then after that, he was, you know, he he 
lived like a monk. I mean, and there again, you know, we're talking what could have been an interesting story. Um, the making of innuendo, I think, would have been an interesting story because it was very heartbreaking. But he would go in there and it would talk about how um, he, how dedicated he was to his craft because you know he mm. sometimes he couldn't get up you know because of bronchial pneumonia he'd knock down the vodka and it's like okay i think i'm strong enough to do another song right. yeah and innuendo if you look at it i mean it's it's like it plays like a requiem i mean <laughs> it's it starts off with uh innuendo which is oh my god why are we here and all that and it ends with the show must go on and all through that, there is, it's a very reflective album. These are the days of our lives. Right, yeah. um, it's, you listen to it and you, and he wasn't looking good at the time. He was looking really, you know, drawn out and, um, and he was looking very thin, you know, when he got the British um, Music Award, you know, and that was the first time they saw him for a few years. Yeah, I think his mustache was gone. His mustache was gone. He must have lost about 60, 70 pounds. And I mean, people were like, what? Yeah, I know. The suit was just kind of hanging on him. And he, he really, his, his cheeks are really sunken. And it was like, oh my God. Oh my God. Now, they could have went that route. Right. And it would have been, you know, Hmm. It's yeah. It, 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 there wouldn't be a dry eye in the house. I, no. I you know, I, I. But he struggled through that for that last album. But it shows you how dedicated he was. Um. And then once once Freddie was, it was I remembered it because they announced he had A's, and the next day he yeah. was gone. Yes. Yeah. God, I remember that because they not. I never was like what. Well, some of us were like something had it. In it's, fact, the anniversary yeah. was yesterday. Was it really? Yes, it was. Because they announced it, and then the yep. next day he went. And he died. And I remember I was downstairs with my dad, and we were just talking, and the news was on. And we were just talking. And all of a sudden, you know, you hear, I don't know, you know, if it was, you know, if it was Walter. I don't even know if Walter Cronkite was, you know, maybe he was dead by then. But it was a news announcer saying, you know, and, and Right. Freddie Mercury, the lead singer of the rock band Queen, has announced that he has AIDS. And, you know, uh, he said, you know, please help in fighting this terrible disease. And, uh, you know, my dad, who knew that, hey, this was like my Frank Sinatra, you know. I mean, this yeah. was they, they, this was the guy. And even from the 70s, you know, when I was a kid, you know, he, it was just silence. I mean, I didn't know what to say. And he said, oh, God, that's that's just terrible. That's just terrible. Well, I think you know? it fits to his privacy. Yeah. Because he didn't want to tell anybody. And he didn't. And then waited to the last moment. All right. Tell everybody. At the, and finally, yeah. wait to the last. All right. Fine. I know. Yeah. And, <laughs> and the thing was, is that I'm just absorbing the fact that the man has AIDS. And the, then the next, next day, day, he's dead. The next day, yeah. And now I have to absorb the fact that he's dead. I'm <laughs> It's a double whammy. It's right. like, whoa, wait, whoa. And all of a sudden he's gone. And it was just, it did was, you know, and I've, and, and I, you know, I, I've heard of like Zeppelin fans talk about, you know, when Bonham died, you know, and, and that, and it's, it is tough. And, you know, uh, when, when Mercury went, I was like, oh my 
God. Yeah. Now, another nice thing is um, they went back to where they performed the Live Aid, and they did another concert, and then they brought out singers. The Freddie Mercury tribute concert. I was at the a same spot. Yeah. At the year about was it about about a year later after he died? Yes, like, it was. So it was like eighty nine. Yep. Right, right before the 90s. Back when MTV gave a crap. It it opened up with Metallica, and it ended with Liza Minnelli. Yeah, it opened up because Metallica... (laughs) Yeah, that's Queen. We're going to start with... (laughs) We're going to do it with the whole... Right. right. Oh, man, that was a... a Like, Metallica probably did what they're famous for. Seek and Destroy. Seek and Destroy. They did Enter Sandman, and then they also did a cover of... Um, Stone Cold Crazy from the Sure Heart Attack album. Crazy, yeah. of course, that's Metallica. Yeah, and then I think Elton John and John, Alex Rose did Bohemian yep. Rhapsody. Rhapsody. Uh, David Bowie and Annie Lennox uh, sang Under Pressure. Right. Uh, Robert Plant sang Crazy Little Thing. That was the best Love. one, right? Oh man, George Michael sang Somebody to Love. It's a nice. Thing. They matched the singers perfect to yes, what their song. They really did. Elizabeth Taylor went out there and said, "Hey, make sure you protect yourselves. It's good." <laughs> Uh, Lisa Stanfield, you know, came out with the curlers and the vacuum cleaner, like Freddie in the video of "I Want to Break Free." Uh, it was, it was great. I, you know, I loved it. Um, it was. They everybody played the part, and it showed the wide spectrum of yes. genres they tapped into. And yeah, and uh, Extreme did this huge medley and showed, hey, we're the major league, you know. Um, yeah, queen lovers here. Def Leppard did Brighton Rock with Brian May, yeah. uh, which was just awesome. Uh, and then Liza uh, came out and finished up with uh, We Are the Champions, <laughs> which was, you know. Uh, no other band could do that. I know. No other so band. Fact, you know, I sat back and said, you know, hey, why doesn't Minnelli go and, you know, tour with Queen for a while? I right, mean, yes. Freddie probably would Nobody love that. Nobody would bat an eye. They were like, okay, that's, yeah, that's right, totally. Fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> um, before we let go, I want to. Uh, before we go, uh, what's another band you think would do good for kind of a movie? I think if you want to think about it, I yeah, got, I got one in mind that would fit good for a very dramatic appeal. Um, I uh, actually, I I'm at a, I, I'm I'm really curious on what yours is. Fleetwood Mac. Yes. That would just be the greatest movie. Oh God! What because you... he started as a Buckingham's yeah. kind of a drag with Lindsay, mm-hmm. and then Mick Fleetwood joined, and it. They recruited Stevie Nicks. And uh, Bob Welch was part of the band. He had his own great solo right. career. And he, he, once in a while, he toured with them. And Fleetwood Mac, when they started, they were initially just a blues band. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and then they just got into the drugs and the yeah. sleeping. Oh, my God. Oh, to be yeah. a, oh and, I would just pay. Give, take my money if you. You would you, you would get the seventies the 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 California seventies scene. Right. That speaking of that, I think because you remember when I was a kid, stay away from Stevie Nicks. She's a witch. Yeah, right? that's right. Yeah, yeah, she's yeah secret it, devil stuff in there. Oh yeah, she's witchy. <laughs> I remember that. Uh, another one that I think would be interesting, you know, Mr. Lebowski. I'm terribly sorry, man, but uh, the Eagles. Uh, I think the Eagles it would. would be interesting. You it know, would. you get that '70s California vibe, and then they bring it. in Joe Walsh, and then yeah. he, and we're gonna pump this up and. <laughs> right, I think it'd be totally awesome. And he know? didn't get along with everybody. He left. Yeah, right. I got a mansion. Don't know where it is. <laughs> Absolutely. But oh. uh, yeah, those are probably the. If you want to do a really good dramatic movie, those are probably two good bands. I, I think you're right. That, right. that I think, uh, yeah, they definitely fill them in the seats. I think. <laughs> yeah, because I think it would be hard to not 
exaggerate Fleetwood Mac. It was outrageous. Yeah. What was and the people you see like no that it really did happen. Yeah. They really just did. You you know who I stuffed their nose yeah. up and oh yeah it's, you know, this movie brought to you by Coke <laughs> it's the real thing how much booger sugar can you get <laughs> right <laughs> um I I think what we're gonna get though is yeah. um unfortunately because the um the band members are businessmen and they're they're sniffing around saying hey you know um queen came out with a movie and it made 400 million now you can probably get everybody thinking there's oh yeah, yeah. And I, I, John, which his movie's probably gonna do because really, i've heard really motley well. crew wants to do theirs uh, i could probably see kiss making a movie especially with gene they're doing right. their end of the road tour this would be a best way to get money while being producers of their own story, yeah. you know, I, this is the, I, my this hand is, to God, this is going to be a Kiss movie coming out. This should right yeah. after retirement, then we'll just make a movie about ourselves. Yeah, yeah, and the, you're would... going to see this happening more and more. <laughs> I'm Gene Simmons, and uh, <laughs> yeah. all right, that's the end of the podcast. Um, anything else? Oh, had a great time being here. Where, um, <laughs> what is a good Queen song that you think nobody really knows about? Uh. I would have to say that, you know, just we're talking... Anything, yeah, yeah. Does it get any airplay or recognition? Oh, oh, and that's easy. Um, I'd say All Side of Black of Queen 2. Definitely March of the Black Queen. The B-side? Oh, yeah, the B-side. The black side. The March of the Black Queen, I think, is, is just as intricate and just as beautiful. Hell, there's a madrigal in the middle of the song that <laughs> is um, just as fantastic as Bohemian Rhapsody. Yeah. And... Um, diehard fans know the song, you know, and they're very, they're very guarded about it, but that's, I, I would say March of the Black Queen. Um, is this going to be on your top 10 at the end of the year? Yes, it will. All right. That's it. <laughs>